Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more take it away fellas yes greetings of the season to you wherever you're listening another edition of shim spider and so much more coming your way over the next hour we'll run the rule over the 12 a-league clubs ahead of the new campaign and the western sydney wanderers coach carl robinson is our special guest in footballers lives before all that a big welcome to zelko kalach and craig moore how are you boys good to see you hello gents uh, Spider, your goalkeepers' union news this week. Um, Mitch Langerak has just set a new J League record for clean sheets. Um, and conversely, Matty Ryan has been told he can move on from Brighton. Interesting developments. Yeah, really happy for Mitch Langerak. Uh, always had a very high opinion of him. Uh, done a great job this year, found a good place to play, great age. Uh, for him to break a record like that in Japan. I think he's got one more game as well. Yeah, I think he's equaled the record now. He's got one more game to go that he could break the record, but always been a very good goalkeeper, playing a lot of games now. Uh, and as we know, goalkeepers get better with age. So fantastic by, by Mitch. As for Matty, it's a strange one. I, I look at it and I, I just believe that Brighton's probably saying, well, if we're going to take a chance on someone else, let's, let's try to cash in on Matty uh, and get some money for him. That's the way I'm reading into it. I don't know if you guys think any different. I'm just, it's not because he's played poor or anything like that. I just think the manager said, I'm going to go with my gut instincts and, and try someone else just to try to get some results and probably cash in on Matty. I don't know whether that's the case. I mean, at the start of the season, there was a, there was a bit of conversation, um, wasn't there, about uh, Graham Potter trying to sign, I think it was Tim Krull. Um, so it seems to me as though he's, he's never been really convinced by Matty Ryan. He did drop him a while ago as well, brought in Robert Sanchez for one game and then brought him back. Uh, but now it appears that he's made the decision at least on a semi-permanent basis. But from, from Matty's point of view, Maury, 
that's a real problem, isn't it? Because he needs first team football. Goalkeepers are a little bit different. Um, yeah. And you, you'd imagine he'd be looking to get away if he's not going to play, at least on loan. Yeah, well, look, in the interim, it could be a, a difficult situation. Look, but Matty Ryan is a, is a first, first class goalkeeper and has done you know, very well for, for Brighton. Um, there will be opportunities for Matty, um, but, you know, Spider will know better in terms of goalkeepers. And you're talking about our number one international goalkeeper. They need to be playing uh, matches because it's a decision-making Spider eh, with, with the goalkeepers and you don't get that unless you're playing those games. Well, look, I, I always thought why Matty is so much better than everyone else in Australia is because he reads the game so well. Um, his reading is, is fantastic. Now, maybe playing for Brighton, uh, he probably needs to make more saves because a yep. small t- he's probably suited to a team, probably not at the moment, like an Arsenal, but someone that actually tries to, tries to play a bit more like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he will be short of offers, that's for sure. And uh, I think Brighton will try to cash in and, and get as much as they can for him. Talking of cashing in, Maury, uh, your old club Rangers uh, certainly cashed in with, with Celtic being involved in Scottish Cup action over the weekend. They're 16 points clear in the Premier League in Scotland after beating Motherwell. They can't blow it from there, can they? Yeah, 16 <laughs> points clear, but uh, Celtic uh, have a few games in, in hand, obviously. Um, yeah. But Rangers are position they're in. You, you certainly uh, would, would like to have the points on the table, which Rangers have. They, they were they were tested um, by Motherwell. Uh, they went down a goal, a goal early, and, and Stephen Gerrard came out after the game and said, "The first time he's ever come up against a, a two banks of five, which was the way that Motherwell <laughs> that, that, that mother, Motherwell set up." And look, in previous seasons, that's normally a game that's caught Rangers out. Um, they they just but they stuck at it, Simon. They stuck at it. They're good mentality. In the end, it wasn't flash goals, but they managed to get uh, the right result in what was a very, very difficult game that previously they would have dropped points from. Never mind the performance, feel the results. Thanks, guys, for the moment. Uh, let's get into it then with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Now, Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view, and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels, servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au, or you can find them on Instagram. So this time next week, uh, the A-League season will be up and running. So today's hard talk is dedicated to our season preview. We're going to run the rule over the 12 clubs individually shortly. Um, before that, a couple of sort of off-field issues. Uh, the COVID outbreak, guys, in Sydney. Now, I am in Sydney, and there's been a big spike over the last uh, few days. Already, the Sydney to Hobart yacht race has been cancelled for the first time uh, in its history. Does this have the potential to disrupt our A-League season once again? Greg O'Rourke has gone public yesterday saying, we've got 218 games to deliver in the, in the next six months, and we're going to do it. Uh, but with half the A-League now based, including Wellington Phoenix, in New South Wales, there's a potential problem looming, isn't there, if this continues? Yeah. Is the big spike 17 people? Uh, it's 30, but that is predicted to uh, increase 
day mm. in, day out. And that's the mm. problem, isn't it? It spikes, it doubles very, very quickly. Yeah, look, uh, I, I don't know how they're going to do this. Uh, I know it's in the northern beaches there, and it's difficult to say, it's difficult for Sydney FC, obviously, because a lot of their players would come from that area and be in that area. Um, oh, if they have to go into a hub again, I, I'd hate to think that Sydney FC would want to go back into a hub after doing what they did for the ACL uh, to finish the season off last year. Um, the other clubs should be okay at the moment because Wellington's based in Wollongong, so hopefully that's not too bad. Wanderers are where Wanderers are. Very difficult, Simon. I, I hope we don't get to this again, um, and I hope we don't have to go into a hub because I really do worry for the players' wellness uh, going into a hub again. Well, that's the issue, Maury, isn't it? Because you're looking at the interstate teams in particular, um, the, the, the teams from Melbourne, Brisbane Roar, Adelaide United, Perth Glory. Uh, already the WA border has been shut with New South Wales. Now, Perth don't start their campaign until a little bit later on because they're still in quarantine from the Champions League. This is an, a logistical nightmare, isn't it? Uh, an, another spike in COVID for the A-League. Uh, look, it, it really is. Um, and, and again, uh, unfortunately, um, look, decisions will kind of be out of the, the hands um, of, you know, certainly the, the, the federation and the, and, the, and the clubs. It's kind of you'll just have to listen and, and be guided. And look, hopefully we, 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 we don't find ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, there's a chance that the A-League doesn't kick off on time or, or, or there's major changes because... At such late night, late notice, I don't know how, um, what plans they, they would have in place for that, Simon. Um, look, obviously at the end of the day, we know how um, brutal this um, this pandemic has been, and it's you know it's coming and going, and we felt the effects here in, in the UK. Spider, you would have felt it over there. We're going into lockdown again here as well. But look, hopefully for the A League and Australia that it doesn't affect the starting of the campaign, but everyone's safety and, and wellness spine that you touch on is, is also very, very important. The only, uh, the only good thing, I guess, from the A-League's point of view is that they've been here before and had to deal with it before. So yeah. let's hope it doesn't come to that. Um, on Monday, we saw uh, an A-League launch of sorts. Uh, by, by, by the host broadcaster, Fox Sports. This was a very strange <laughs> presentation, wasn't it? Some of the clubs weren't represented. Uh, most of the media were excluded. This sort of speaks to me, again, of you know, a game that is not fully in control of its own narrative. Um, when no. you have a, a TV network that's, that's going off doing its own launch, which some of the clubs didn't seem to know about. Let's, let's be honest. It was absolutely embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. The game should be ashamed of itself for delivering something like that on the eve of the start of the A-League. Uh, the, game didn't, the, the, the game didn't, in fairness, Spider. That, that, was, that was Fox who decided to do that launch. No, but yeah. our game is... That's the face of our game. Mm. That, that's football. People see that. They say that's the A-League launch. Yeah, so that's, 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 that, that is our game. That's a part of us. What were the reasons, Simon? Like, I'm guessing it would be down to... Uh, you think they tell me, Maury? Is it down to financials? Is it down to COVID? Is it down to uh, restrictions in terms of travel? Um, but at the same time, if you're going to do something... Um, you know, everyone well, it, it, it wasn't... It, 
it couldn't just strictly be down to, to COVID and the travel because there were uh, New South Wales teams that weren't represented at, at that particular launch. Look, I, I guess Fox as a business, they're entitled to do whatever launch they want. The issue is, is that it, it did reflect, I, I think, pretty badly on the game. Um, immediately, I know that the FFA were uh, forced into damage control because they were largely blamed because that's the knee-jerk reaction of football fans in Australia. If something goes wrong, it's the FFA's fault. And in fairness to them, this had nothing to do with them. Um, you know, they're no longer uh, responsible. <laughs> Again, technically, yes, but you know, yes. operationally, the A League is is separate. Uh, some of the A League clubs that I spoke to uh, weren't invited or told they weren't were told they weren't needed. Um, it just all seemed very, very strange uh, for them to do that two weeks out from the start of the season and for it to just look so I don't know disinterested. Is that the is that the right word? Unprofessional. Hmm. Yeah, that's a better word. Yeah, interesting. Oh, well, let's hope the football is better when it finally kicks off. But generally, before we get into the club-by-club preview, guys, how important is uh, this season for the league? New TV deal uh, in the offing, we hope, in, in six months' time, a shortened season. Are we in for just a transitional campaign or hopefully something better? Oh, look, hopefully, hopefully what we... What we get, Simon, is a very entertaining league. Um, you know, the younger players get an opportunity. The product needs to, to be appealing over the next six months um, to, to, I guess, put the, the game in a good position to sort out its future in terms of uh, broadcast and what that's going to look like. Um, new coaches, new players, that, that always gives you a, a lift. Um, so hopefully it's a... Look, it is a transitional campaign. Let's uh, make no mistake about that because there's still a big unknown in terms of what lies after this season, how long the break is going to be. Um, but what is in the control of the Australian game and the Australian clubs is that they try and provide a, an exciting product that hopefully puts the game in a good, good position to move forward with. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's a, definitely a transitional period. I think the, the beginning phase... Uh, first six six games, eight games, Maury, I think will be very tactical and wary. Still, we're playing in a heat, like end yep. of December, January, February, still a lot of heat. But come yep. semi-final time, back end of the season, when it starts to cool down, things start gelling, players get fitter. Uh, a lot of young players are going to get opportunities. I think it'll really crank up the back end of the season when the semis come. And I think that's good for the game, for the television rights and whatever else the FA have to get organised and the clubs have to get organised. Okay. Let's uh, get into it then with uh, the individual clubs. We're going to go one for Maury and then one for Spider and we'll alternate. Otherwise, we'll probably be here all night uh, talking about the individual clubs. So, Maury, let's kick off with you um, with Adelaide United. Uh, Carl Viert is in charge for the new campaign. They had a good finish to to last season after Viert took over from her chamber bake. They've lost some big players. Paul Izzo, Riley McGree, Christian Opseth, James Troisi. Conversely, they've, they've gained um, Tommy Juric, um, Javi Lopez, uh, George Timoteu, and James Dalianoff in goal. How can they go this season, the Reds? Well, look, Carl Viet obviously uh, has come in, as you mentioned, uh, supported, uh, assisted by Ross Aloisi, who, who you know, knows the, um, the landscape pretty well. Um, like every season, look, you do lose some players. They, they, they lost some top talent um, for Adelaide. But 
you know, in, in Juric Lopez. Timoteu, who um, uh, is a very good player, it might just take him a little bit of time to get to the, to the, the level of fitness because of the football that he's missed. Uh, Delianoff, a good young goalkeeper. Look, Adelaide are a team that um, I think will be able to grow from last season. They'll have um, some good younger players that I think can make a, a good impact. It's, it's just having the, the experience and the, and the wiser heads as well, Simon, I think, to be able to guide them to a, to a good position in the league. But I, I certainly think that Adelaide United can be in the top half. OK, so finals, yay or nay? I'm going to ask you this on every club. Adelaide United, yes. Yes, right. No. no. OK, no. for Spider. Um, Spider, next to you, uh, Brisbane Raw, playing out at Dolphin Stadium, of course, this season. Uh, which should make uh, atmosphere much better, providing we're allowed fans still in the stadiums. Uh, they've signed Masato Kudo, uh, Riku Danzaki, Joey Champness. Look to have a little bit more firepower about them this season. They are going to have Champions League commitments. Uh, the fans are a little bit sort of split between, we should have stayed at Suncourt, but yeah, we like Dolphin, but it's a long way to go. Uh, Warren Moon's had a full preseason to get his ideas um, in train. How do you think Brisbane are going to go this season? Look, I thought they were I thought they were okay last year. Uh, I thought they consolidated quite well. Uh, can they build on that? I would say yes. I think the Dolphin Stadium move. I think it's a good one. Uh, the training setup is probably not ideal, which Maury probably would have been better off talking about Brisbane because he'd know. But I think. I think they'll be okay. I think, again, they'll fight for fifth or sixth, but I don't think they'll go any higher than that. So finals, yay? Yes. Okay. Maury? Yes or no? More yes than no. More? <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit uh, sitting on the fence, but anyway, we'll take it. Yeah. All right. I just don't really know with Brisbane because the players that, that, that have come in, um, some unknowns, do they adapt? There's always issues in Brisbane. Uh, is Warren Moon going to be strong enough to make sure that he can keep him on track throughout the season? Because it's a tough job. Okay. We'll stick with you, uh, Maury, for the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, they've lost Ziggy Gordon, Milan Juric, Sammy Silvera. On the flip side, Oli Bazanic returns, Daniel Bauman. Uh, the Oli Roo is there. And a couple of signings in the last 24, 48 hours from overseas. Mikhail Janotta and Stefan Jankovic have arrived uh, in Gosford. Um, Alan Stagic, has he got his work cut out to reach the top six again this season? I think so. I think mm. so. Look, unfortunately for the Mariners, I think for, for their fans and for people that support football, until you actually see that consistency on the football field, um, they're very, very, you can't take them on trust. Um, so they're, they're very much for me a, a watch and see, obviously, with the new players coming in, how they adapt. Um, I'm sure that they'll be, they'll be decent players, but can they be enough? Um, to, to drive Central Coast Mariners up the table? I don't think so. So it's a no for you, Spider. A yes or no for the Mariners finals? No. Right. That's pretty clear cut. Um, Spider will uh, stick with you for MacArthur FC. Uh, the new boys under Ante Milicic uh, look to have built, at least on paper, a pretty decent squad. They've got Great experience, Mark Milligan, Adam Federici, Matt Derbyshire, Ivan Franjic, uh, Tommy Yor, uh, some good youth as well, Michael Roos, Denny Genro. Um, how are MacArthur going to go in their debut campaign? And uh, they've got two big centre-backs as well. Um, is, is that potentially going to be an issue for them? Very interesting team. Mm. Uh, recruited very well, very well. A lot of experience. Depth could be their problem. Uh, good players, 
good stride force, great goalkeeper. They'll be solid at the back. I think they can. I think they can make the top four. I reckon from fourth, fifth, and sixth is a very successful year for them. Okay, Maury, do you concur with that? Just to disagree, just so I've got something to go with. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that Macarthur will come in and, and, and do quite well, Spider. But I'm gonna say that they're gonna miss out on the finals. So I've gone completely against you. Ooh. We'll, uh, we'll mark that one down and uh, we'll revisit that at the end of the season. We'll at the end of the season. <laughs> Talking of end of the season, <laughs> last year, Spider tipped Melbourne City to go all the way, Maury. Um, they didn't quite get there. Uh, what about City this year? Obviously, Paddy Kisnorbo's first senior coaching job. They've signed the yeah. likes of Aidan O'Neill, Taras Gamorka, Andrew Naboot, Ben Garuccio's returned from overseas. Interesting Japanese signing, Naoki Tsubaki. Um, do they have that mental toughness to win the big games? And as an aside, as a part B to the question, what about this move to Dandenong as well? Interesting. Very, very, yeah, very interesting. Uh, look, in, in, in regards to Melbourne City, I, I think that they're a front runner. Uh, they're one, two for me this season. Uh, I think that with the players that they already had, um, you know, plus with the, the signings that they've, they've brought in, I think is, um, could be a very exciting team. We know you've got the goals of, of Jamie McLaren, which is is deadly at this at this level, uh, and you know Paddy Casnorbo will do a good job. He he knows the place inside out. The City Group kind of stick to people that are in the system, and I think that's a benefit for the football club. The, the move to Dandenong, um, yeah, I mean it's an interesting one. Obviously, the the relocating to a different area maybe has a a bigger impact on trying to create a a bigger fan base. Um, and that rivalry within Melbourne, uh, within the, the, the Melbourne clubs. So I'll be interested to see how that goes, Simon, the move to Dandenong. So uh, City, yes for the finals for you. I'm pretty sure, Spider, you'll say yes as well. Definitely, Top yes. two or three, I think. One, two or three, they'll finish. Okay, okay. and uh, I agree. I think the Dandenong move is, is a terrific uh, boost to Melbourne City. I mean, that if, if they can claim, and obviously it depends on whether they can connect with the local fan base down in the southeast of Melbourne, but then they've got the southeast. Victory have got the centre, and Western United have got the west. Absolutely perfect in Victoria. Uh, talking of victory, Spider, a new boss in Grand Brevner. He's got Steve Keane alongside him. They did well in the Champions League, got through the group stage. New signings including Callum McManaman, uh, Jacob Butterfield, Ben Falami, Dylan Ryan, Rudy Gasted. Uh, Ryan Shotton has just arrived. On paper, they they look a lot stronger this season. Yeah, I, look, I don't know the the players they got from overseas too well, but what I watched of them in the uh, Champions League, I thought Brevin had done a great job with them. They played a good brand of football, um, and he knows the culture of the club. I think this is a key with a lot of the managers. He knows the culture. He's been at Victory for a long time. He knows what's what it's expected, and what the supporters expect. I think they can finish in the top four. I think they can squeeze into the top four. That's, that'll be their target. Top four for you. Maury, finals for victory, yes or no? I think victory, yes. And, and I think it's a must for the, the, the club. I think Grant Brebner will do a good job uh, and that they will make the, the playoffs, yes. Okay, Newcastle Jets, uh, off-field problems, as we know. Um, no owner, no full-time head coach. 
Um, they have brought some players in. Rami Najarine in particular looks a useful addition online from Melbourne City. Uh, Valentino Yule, I watched in a friendly against Wellington at the weekend, and he looked very, very sharp indeed. But they have lost Demi Petratos, Abdil Arroyo, uh, Matthew Miller. There's the Bernie Abini situation, the Joey Champner situation, and the Carl Robinson situation that we'll talk about uh, later in the show with, with the Wanderers coach. Uh, yeah. Is there any hope for the Jets to make the six? Very, very tough ask, in my opinion, Simon. Uh, there's so many, so many things happening at that football club um, that are, you know, just providing very difficult circumstances for all involved. Um, you know, everyone's trying to do the right thing and working hard, but still no head coach. Um, a squad that massively uh, struggled in, in last season. Although when Carl Robertson came in, they did get that lift. Um, don't have a great roster, in my opinion, and. You know, the players that have come in, like Nazarene, I know about, and Spider, you'll know about him at City as well. A good young talent, but I think still to do well in the A-League, you need good um, good balance and, and good senior pros to be able to really drive uh, the younger players. And I don't think Newcastle Jets have that. Well, they do have a couple in, obviously, Nigel Bogart and Nikolai Topol-Stanley. There are others besides. But uh, you're saying no that, no that the Jets won't make the finals, correct? Yeah, and, and like I said, and, and they've not added to those experienced yep. players, which I think that they needed they needed more. So it's a no for me for the Jets. Spider? Yeah, it's a no as well, simply because they still don't have our coach. And uh, the players, I think, will struggle with that um, and the situation of the club. I, I, I think it's almost impossible for them to make the top six. Okay, uh, Perth Glory. <clears throat> Excuse me, Tony Popovich, of course, has gone, as Spider knows only too well. Richard Garcia has come in, his debut in the coach, head coaching gig. Uh, they've still got a lot of quality in terms of Diego Castro, Neil Kilkenny, Bruno Fornaroli, Liam Reddy. Andy Keogh is back for a third stint at the club. Uh, KSK Otter is an interesting acquisition for me, uh, filling in the Jason Davidson role that they probably didn't struggle to fill uh, last season at left wing back. Uh, the kids got some vital experience in, in the Champions League. Obviously, there is the potential COVID problems. WA has you know, got that more than most with the hard border shutting. What are their chances this season? I forget who I need to go. It's Spider, look, isn't it? It's you. Look, Perth's a funny one because if you look at the roster, in attack, they've got firepower. Hmm. Uh, in midfield, they rely so much on Kilkenny. And I just don't see the other acquisitions that they've got there with him. And at the back, I think they're struggling because they've lost basically their whole back line. Yeah. Uh, Richie, Richie Garcia has got his hands full. First time manager, he's got to be able to control some senior players there who like to do the things they like to do. So, will they dictate to him? That big challenge. I, I think they're fighting really for six spot. I don't think I'm got, I can't see him get any higher than six because I think at the back they're going to leak goals. Maury. Yeah, I kind of agree, Spot. I and potentially see him six or, or lower. I think Perth Glory um, do have some some great players, as you mentioned, those attacking players and the Kilkenny, um, all not not getting any younger. Um, and, and I know that you need good experience, but in the summer, still the ability to get around about the football field. I do think that um, they may struggle this season, just because um, again squad depth and the older players. Um, are continually getting older. <laughs> Tends to happen in life, doesn't it? We get older. Um, Sydney FC, the reigning champions, um, they underachieved a bit in the Champions League once again. Uh, they have lost Adam Lafondre, who's gone to the Indian Super League. No real additions, but overall their squad has remained pretty stable. 
the one thing I do like about Sydney is the emergence of Callum Neuvenhoff in midfield. They had a terrific campaign in the Champions League. Uh, I think they'll probably make the six, uh, won't they, Maury? But can they go three in a row? Is that possible? Sydney's major uh, concern is to be able to replace LaFondre's goals. Um, Look, they've normally got recruitment spot on, if I'm being honest, Sydney FC. Um, Circumstances are slightly different now, Simon, with, you know, they don't have the ability probably to go out previously, your Bobos and, and your LaFondre's, the budgets will be slightly different. So can they replace LaFondre's goals? Big question mark. Um, but the emergence of, you know, Bahalja through the middle with his pace, and uh, you've still got, you know, Barbarousas, you've still got the smarts of Ninkovic. I still think that Sydney are, are, are favourites to, to win the league again. Spider? Yeah, top three, definitely. Okay. Stick with you, Spider, for Wellington Phoenix, who are going to be based out of Wollongong, of course, in the early part of the campaign, at least. Uh, they've lost a lot of experience during the off-season. Stephen Taylor's gone, Gary Hooper, um, Callum McCowart's, Libby Kakache has gone to Belgium, Matty Steimer has gone, Callum Elliott is with you at Zante. Uh, income, incomings include Toma Hemed, who's uh, had experience in the English Premier League, Mirza Maratovic, Matt Redenton is back for another stint. Uh, can Ufuk Talay pull another rabbit out of the hat? He did last year. and no, Nobody really fancied his team last season either, but uh, they shocked a few and finished third. Look, uh, Wellington last year I thought were fantastic. Were really good value. Uh, they'd, they'd gone from a team that was playing on TV that you said, I don't want to watch them, to actually being one of the first teams you wanted to watch. So Ufi brought in a real good brand of football. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, like a lot of the A-League, I don't know anything about the players they've brought in. Uh, the transfer system and not knowing who they are and what's happening. Very quiet. I, I don't know what to make of Wellington. I trust Ulfie as a coach. I trust his brand uh, of football and I trust his recruiting. I, th- I think they can get into the top six. I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year because they just seem to have lost too many experienced players. They, they're fighting for fifth and six. Morning. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Spider. Um, you know, another challenge this season again for Ufi, but um, I know the way that he'll attack that job again this season. And players have left, and he's of the opinion that you know that that happens. New players will come in, and, and we'll get them to a level uh, fifth or sixth for me as well for Wellington Phoenix. Okay, Maury, Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, Carl Robinson, the new man in charge. We'll hear from him on the show shortly. He's been very aggressive in his recruitment. He's brought in Ziggy Gordon, James Troisi, Bernie Abini. Those are the three main ones. Also added uh, Graham Dorrance, the former West Brom midfielder. Yep. Do you get the sense that it's sort of now or never for, for the Wanderers? They've, they've had such a poor three or four seasons. And they've got three out of their first four matches at home. So they've got the chance to, to really drive into the new season and, uh, and make a mark. Yeah, and look, and Spider knows this club better than anybody, the size of this football club. Um, it's a very, very big club that has massively underachieved, uh, as you mentioned, the last three to four seasons. Carl Robinson, very honest. Um, and, and will make sure that he has the players that, that want to be at the football club, which is most important. He has a, a good track record in terms of developing younger players. So they will get their opportunity at the football club. Um, I think that they'll be um, top six material this season. I do, I do think that they're close. They're, they're very close. I think you know, maybe sixth position. They've, got, they've brought some good talent in. Ziggy Gordon, we know about, obviously well-established now. Those Ailey Treasy, we know, is, is fantastic if his head's right and physically he's right. Abini can be anything on his day. 
And Graham Dorans has got huge quality. So they've recruited what seems to be on paper well. How they translate that to the start of the season will be very interesting. But I think that they're sixth position. Spider. A-League needs the Wanderers to make the top six. So anywhere that they finish, fourth, fifth, sixth, third, the A-League needs it. So I'm saying, yes, they'll make in make the top six. Six of the clubs that are going to miss out in the coming season might disagree, of course. Uh, let's finish off with Western United. Spider, they've been quite quiet in the market. They brought in Lockie Wales, Victor Sanchez. Um, they've kept Max Burgess, at least for now, which I guess could be... Uh, key. The big questions for me, I don't know if you agree, can they back up after a really good solid year in year one? The different stadiums that they keep rotating around, which include Amy Park this year for some bizarre reason. I can't figure that one out. Uh, and of course, the fact that they're, they're, they're greats, if you like, Diamante, Berisha, uh, you can probably throw Andy Durante in there as well. They're all knocking on a wee bit they're, and they're another year older. Yeah, but I think the key thing for Western, you know, I thought they had a fantastic year last year. I mean, to to get knocked out the way they did in the semi-final against Melbourne City, uh, I thought they were very unlucky. And the key is they haven't changed many players. Uh, A little bit like what Sydney FC does. I I think they're a threat this year. I I really think they can finish in the top four and really push this year. Okay. Maury? I I think they'll be in the the finals. Uh, I think they'll be in the top six. I'm not sure whether I agree with you, Spides, in terms of top four. But... Roods will have them well organised. Uh, they'll be hard to uh, to break down. And plus, we know that they've got talent um, to be able to put teams to the sword and, and score goals. Uh, but I just don't see them being one of the, the threats, uh, like you mentioned. Okay, two more questions before uh, we move on to our action overseas. Um, first one, who's going to win it? Head on the block time, guys. Ooh, far out. I've I, I got to say Melbourne City. Stable, strong. Uh, I really hope for my mate Paddy Kuznorbe, he would have learned a lot last year from uh, the French manager's name. That's just... Montbert. Yep. I think he will learn a lot from him. I think he's recruited well. Stable side, I think Melbourne City. Okay, that's the second year in a row you've gone for Melbourne City. We'll see if you're right this time, Maury. I know. Yeah, and look, I norm- you know what I'm like? I normally don't agree with the big fella. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm best not to, but I, I really do think that, that Melbourne City uh, can grow again this season. Yeah, the question mark is, have they got the mentality to win? They're guaranteed goals, uh, you know, through Jamie McLaren, and they'll get the other players that will chip in and score their goals, whereas Sydney FC still got to replace those goals. So... I'm leaning towards Melbourne City to win the, the league. Okay, okay. We'll see if you guys are right. Um, last one for this segment. Uh, obviously, the W League kicks off as well on the 27th of December. Uh, Double header at Bankwest Stadium. The Wanderers taking on Melbourne Victory ahead of uh, the men's game between the Wanderers and MacArthur FC. Uh, we, we are on at the outset, guys, of three years, which are going to be absolutely huge for women's football in this country and can help drive the game in general forward towards a, a brighter future. Um, these three years are a massive opportunity for girls who are coming through the system at the moment. They've got a home World Cup to aim for in 2023, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah 100%. Look, yeah, spot on. It's a, it's a massive three years of, uh, of, of football in terms of the, the, the women's game and what they've got to look forward to with a, a Women's World Cup in Australia. Uh, Simon, you touch on it. I think that the, the spin-offs from this particular tournament uh, being based in Australia gives 
the game as a whole a real opportunity to, to make improvements and to put longer-term plans in place, i.e. facilities. Um, great for the, for the women's game. Um, and, and good, you know, like I said, our, our aim is to obviously be in a position where we can win that, that World Cup on, on home soil. So the development over the next three years to, to see what other players can maybe sneak through and, and, and work their way into the Matildas, I think is, is very exciting. We're getting more and more girls that are, are travelling and experiencing life overseas, which will give more opportunity to, to, to girls back home. And I've no doubt there'll be one that will sneak through that within three years we'll be talking what a, what a big player she, she is. Sure, hope so. Um, but like uh, Sam Kerr, who netted uh, her first goal in the Women's Champions League uh, during the week for Chelsea against uh, Benfica. And then promptly, of course, Chelsea's uh, Women's Super League game against Spurs at the weekend was called off because half the squad went down with COVID. This is the world we live in at the moment. Thanks for the moment, guys, and uh, enjoyed that A-League preview. Let's head overseas. London calling. London calling. Well, let's start, uh, guys, with, sadly, another tragic loss for the game of football. Um, Gerard Houllier, uh, surprisingly and tragically, passing away at the age of, uh, of 73 uh, this week. He's fondly remembered, of course, for his time with Liverpool, but did so much more besides and was very close to becoming the Socceroos coach uh, post-horse hitting in, in 2006. What, what are your memories of, of Gerard? Did you come across him? I, pre I presume you would have done. Well, what a, what a tragic 2020 this has been, seriously. Um, every, everything about Gerard Houllier, every, everyone that talks about him says what a gentleman, what a great man he was. And that's probably why everyone remembers uh, him as a manager, all the players that have played underneath him. He's just a great guy. And he'd done enormous things for football and always tried to help. Uh, that would have been an enormous capture for Australia had he, had he come and coached the Socceroos. Hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, very, very yeah. sad. Very sad indeed, Simon. It was, um, you know, Danny Murphy and Stephen Gerrard have heard their sort of like emotional tributes uh, mm. to Gerrard. Um, and the, the key thing that kind of stood out for me is he, he, the way that he treated people. It was, he was interested not only as a, the, the player, the footballer, but also the person uh, and, mm. and took great delight in developing people. And, and I think that, that was a, the, the clear message that come through. Again, a huge, a huge loss to, to football and condolences to um, family. But uh, Gerard Julio was a was a great man, um, and unfortunately, but our podcast we keep we, we keep having to discuss somebody that, that has passed. Unfortunately, very mm. sad. It is um, one personal story that I have with Gerard Julio. Many, many years ago, I covered a UEFA Cup tie between Liverpool and Rapid Bucharest. Uh, in the Romanian capital, and uh, I, I flew over there with my co-commentator, who was a, a certain Peter Beardsley. Um, yeah. And after the game, we were staying in the same hotel as the Liverpool team. And of course, uh, we were in the bar having a couple of drinks afterwards when Gerard walked in with with Roy Evans, who was uh, then his, his number two. And they invited us over, um, obviously not on the strength of me, but Peter Beardsley. <laughs> uh, and I got to, to sit in and, and listen in to some of the most wonderful uh, tales uh, in, the, in the football world. Uh, he was a great raconteur, very, very nice, very humble guy and very, very generous uh, with his time. So our, our sympathies to uh, everybody in the Julio family and, of course, uh, the football world for losing yet another great. Um, Let's move on to talk about uh, the Asian Champions League final briefly. Uh, congratulations to Jason Davidson and his all-son teammates. They defeated Persepolis 
in Doha, although Jason wasn't included in the squad for the final. I guess Spider, at least Perth and Victory, can say they were beaten by the best team in Asia in the end. Yeah, uh, you know what? They they were good. They they seemed to get stronger as the tournament went along. Like I watched mm. them in early early days, and they looked well organised, Maury. But uh, I didn't think they could go on and win it. But when it when it was time to step up a gear, they were excellent. They were a really strong side, mate. And yes, congratulations to Jason Davidson. Well done, another Aussie winning a major trophy. That's fantastic. Yeah, Olsen, to be fair, we we come up against them spider in the Champions League and um, they give us an absolute touch-up away from home. Um, (laughs) Honestly, they were were so slick in attack, um, very well organised, very fit. um, And we even got the opportunity, a little sneaky peek um, at Ballymore back in the day to watch one of their training sessions the day before a game. And by the (laughs) way, let me tell you that, that we know Australian teams doing that type of training session before a game. They were they were working so hard, a lot of leaping, a lot of bounding. Um, That's very typically you know, Korean, isn't it? That sort of uh, training session, warm up. It is Simon, but and again, it's 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 what they're used to. It's the way that they're brought up, and and physically, they are very very tough athletes. And they continue to do very very well in the Champions League. A um, couple of other news items in Asia. Uh, another goal for Nikita Rukovica in a 2-1 win for Maccabi Haifa at the weekend. 12 and 11 now. <laughs> he's, he's on fire, is Nikita? There could be a partition for him back in the Socceroos, Maury. That's fine, but it's not even, for me, it's not even a debate. On that form, no. he's, yeah. he's a shoo-in for the Socceroos squad if it was picked today. Yeah, the problem is we don't know when the Socceroos are playing next. <laughs> the Socceroos will start playing and Rukovica will stop scoring. I hope not. But <laughs> I, did, I did love your Freudian slip there as well. A partition rather than a petition, uh, Spider. <laughs> Shouldn't we talk about partitions in the part of the world that Nikita is playing in? Um, just in, in Japan as well, not a good way for Ange Postacoglu to finish off the season with Yokohama F. Marinos. They got uh, beaten in the Yokohama Derby 3-1 and uh, Kazumura came off the bench in the 90th minute, 53 years of age. I wonder if he's going to go around next year. Um, let's move on to the Premier League, guys, um, and talk about uh, Liverpool. 7-0 winners away to Crystal Palace. A double for Bobby Firmino, two for Mohamed Salah. Five points clear at the top. They're looking very, very ominous. Uh, and Palace conceding seven at home for the first time in their entire history. Incredible. Ow. Ouch! Yeah. Uh, Liverpool were in were in full flow. Um, some some fantastic goals uh, in the game. Probably none better than uh, the very last one. Salah uh, cuts in, bends the ball into the the far corner. Simon, they were red hot, um, and Palace um, will be feeling very sorry for themselves. Yeah, I mean, creating history, but not for the right reasons. You know what the funny thing about that game was? Like, after watching Liverpool-Tottenham the other night, the intensity of the match was unbelievable. I went into the weekend, I'm thinking, oh, Liverpool are going to be tired. They're not going to be able to back that up. And they I go and score too. seven. <laughs> and, then, and then, on the on the flip side, I watched Tottenham against Leicester, and Tottenham were flat as tax. Unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes just the way football works. Talking of flat as tax, um, Arsenal... 2-1 loss to Everton, their eighth defeat of the season. Uh, this, I mean, Alan Shearer, I, d- I don't know if he's been a little bit cheeky here, but saying, you know, they're in a relegation battle, he thinks they might go down. Is that p- 
impossible even for a club the size of Arsenal? And on the back of that loss, I mean, the, the inevitable question that has to be asked is how long does Mikel Arteta get as coach or, or manager to try and turn it around? I, I thought he was gone after that result. I was mm-hmm. waiting to get something on Twitter or something like that. Um, he's still there. Uh, they, they believe, you know what? He's starting to say comments that are starting to annoy me. Uh, mate, you need to win games. You manage Arsenal. He's starting to give it the old manager's cliche. It's going to take time. We're building. Everyone knows we're building. Mate, you're Arsenal. You need the challenge to win titles, not the fight for relegation. So he's got to be on his last legs. It's, it's, it's a strange one. I mean, Spider, we hear it so many times when the club come out and support a manager and then potentially the, the, they're out the door the next week. Um, but they've been very, very strong in the support of Arteta. But... Um, it's a results business, and as you touch on, Arsenal can't be can't be sitting down in fifteenth position, um, and we, you know with a chance. Who knows? Spider, uh, Simon, you said can they go down? Anything can go down if you start if you start putting yourself in a position where every game becomes a battle, um, which doesn't suit Arsenal. Let me tell you, when it when it becomes a battle, um, so it's a it's a very very tough situation. I think they'll stick by him, um, but. If it doesn't look to, to change results-wise, then they'll need to make a move and, and shortly because the season will be away for you. Maybe they should have gone for big Sam Allardyce. Um, oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say West, West Brom uh, did. They, they, they got rid of Slavon Bilic, uh, strangely enough, after he got a point at Manchester City with West Brom. Um, yeah. is, is big Sam the man to, to turn it around? He's never been relegated as a manager. Yeah, it didn't start well. They got belted tonight, 3-0. <laughs> yeah. um, and they no, got man. a red card. They they got a red card, uh, pretty soft red card. But Sam would have had him wound up. Look, I think it's a difficult job for him. I know he's never been relegated, but I think this is going to be a real test because West Brom's always been quite a footballing team, and we all know that Big Sam doesn't play football. He likes he likes the fight. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I will follow West Brom closely now. Yeah, Sam the man's going to keep them up. Okay. Um, Sheffield United look as though they need a miracle already. Just uh, the one point. Second season syndrome very much alive and well at uh, Bramall Lane. Um, Jose Mourinho's quote this week. You talk about Sam Allardyce doesn't like to play football. What about this uh, quote from Jose on possession, possession and passing stats being akin to an overcooked piece of meat? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I just oh, like. Man. Obviously, he's a bit yeah. salty, to continue that an- analogy, after losing yeah. to Liverpool in the, in the big game during the week. But is he right? Yeah, well, at the end of the day, it, it's only about who scores more goals than the other team. Now, someone can keep the ball. Atletico Madrid play a lot of, a lot of matches where they only have about 35% of the ball. And if you go and have a look at the table, Atletico Madrid is top of the table and they have been fighting for the last four or five years. So, look, it's each manager to his own. At the end of the day, results will tell. If you get results and you win matches, you'll stay in a job. If not, you'll get the bullet. Simple. Yeah, I, I agree with him, Simon. I, I, I hate people that get too bogged down with, uh, with stats um, because there's, there's so much more to a game of football. Uh, you know, 80% possession, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but where, where was a certain percentage in a useful area that was going to lead to a goal-scoring chance? So for me... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Simplify it. You go out and you're better than your opponent. You win more personal battles on the football field. You create more chances. You normally score more goals. Yeah. Sounds simple when you say it like that, doesn't it? Um, I do have one thing in common with Jose Mourinho. Uh, Mourinho said this week that Hansi Flick was... Uh, the coach of the year and should have been voted the FIFA best in the awards that took place this week. Um, Jurgen Klopp instead won it for the second year running. Uh, I was actually the Australian media voter for that. I voted for Flick as well. What more does he need to do? I mean, <laughs> he won the, I think the, the double or even the treble in Germany, won the Champions League. Um, yeah. Sometimes these awards are odd, aren't they? And we've made this point before with regards to Steve Corrick, who's won back-to-back titles in his first two years with Sydney. And he's not won an A-League Coach of the Year award yet. I mean, what's he got to do? Incredible. Yeah, and I think Jurgen Klopp said something like that as well. He goes, yeah, I didn't deserve it, but I won it. Move on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice things to have on the uh, on the mantelpiece. I'd, I gather that your you two guys, your mantelpieces are absolutely stuffed full of these awards, correct? Yeah, in oh. my mother's garage. <laughs> Well, you've got more than me anyway. Um, <clears throat> talking of awards, not that he'll get a trophy for it, but congratulations to Leo Messi, who's equaled Pelé's all-time record of 643 goals for one club. 643. That's amazing. I mean, that's more goals than most players play for a club. Um, maybe that's why he wants to leave and maybe start uh, beating that record at a different club. <laughs> that's extraordinary. I just can't believe that he scored 620 more goals than me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was 23, was it, Maury? You counted them, everyone. I, I added guess. Add guess. I've just rounded it off. <laughs> okay. Uh, final one in this segment before uh, we get on to Footballers' Lives. Um, story this week that's appeared in the media about Ligue 1 in France being in big trouble after the TV deal with Media Pro collapsed. Uh, the deal was worth over 1.1 billion euros per year, the second richest deal in Europe behind the English Premier League. Um, but it's it's all gone south. And even though Canal Plus and BN are negotiating to take over the rights, uh, there's now a lot of uncertainty for clubs in France. This is the changing landscape, uh, not only during COVID, but also broadcasting, isn't it? Yeah, and they have they've invested heavily in French football. And if you see... The teams are back in the in the firing line in Europe, uh, obviously PSG and all the others. And if you watch La Liga, uh, it's a fantastic competition. This is going to hurt them. Um, yeah, but like you said, Simon, it's a, it's around the globe at the moment. Everyone's in the same position, except for it seems like the EPL. They're the only ones that just keep soldiering on. Bulletproof is the Premier League. Thanks very much, guys. So let's move on to our final segment for today. And we've got another fascinating guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives.
Now, 12 months ago, not many in Australia will be too familiar with the name Carl Robinson, despite a successful playing career in England with the likes of Wolves and Portsmouth, Sunderland and Norwich, followed by stints in North America. The 52 times capped Welsh international would have barely been on the radar of most fans in this country, even though he had a fair bit of success in his inaugural coaching gig with the Vancouver Whitecaps in Major League Soccer. One year on, and it's fair to say he's made a bit of an impression since arriving to coach the Newcastle Jets in February. Under his leadership, the Jets lost just one of their last seven matches in the last season of the A-League, and all seemed set for a long and fruitful partnership. But in October, Robinson was announced as the new head coach of Western Sydney Wanderers. And next Sunday, he will be in the technical zone, COVID notwithstanding, for the first time in a competitive game with the red and black as they welcome MacArthur FC to Bankwest Stadium for the kickoff to the new season. Now, safe to say the reaction when we told our audience that Carl was coming on our podcast today has been a little mixed, and that's putting it politely. Many Jets fans remain very unhappy at the way he left their club, while others have accused him of poaching players such as James Tracy and Bernie Abini. So let's hear Carl's side of the story. Carl, thank you so much for sparing us some time on the podcast today. Great to see you, mate. How are you? I'm very well. That was a nice introduction, wasn't it? <laughs> had a bit of everything, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, that, that was short compared to how he normally dribbles on. <laughs> Thanks, Spider. Um, Carl, look, let's deal with the burning questions first. Um, yeah. Jets fans appear to be sort of mostly on the same page here. And Ben Archer asked this particular question, which probably sums it up. He says, do you have any regrets about leaving the Jets? And what aspects of your departure have not been told by the media? A lot. Um, to answer that question uh, sensibly, uh, what, what I will say is when I joined the Jets in February, uh, I made a big decision to relocate with my family and it was a big decision. You know, the, the plan was to go home to the UK and get involved over there, um, to which I was very close to doing. And then at the last minute, the Newcastle Jets uh, option popped up. So I flew over, I had a look at it, and met Laurie McKinna. Everyone knows Laurie, really likable guy, um, does a lot of work behind the scenes, runs the ship on his own. He's a one-man band. Uh, made the decision to come. You know, that was my decision. Uh, obviously, I enjoyed my time there. Then COVID happened, uh, initially kicked in, and then there was a decision of whether I'd come back or not. What I say to, and I will say, and I, 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 haven't, I don't talk too much because I don't need to, but what I will say to the, the, the fans that are unhappy is that's fine. That's normal. That happens whether players leave or coaches leave. But you have to understand the circumstances, and they don't understand the circumstances. You know, there's reasons, and it's not for me to talk about uh, because I've left the football club now, but I've known for 10 months what's going on at a football club. All right? And um, the decision for me to leave actually helps them. So they might not want to see it and want to hear it. And that's fine. I respect that as well because everyone's entitled to their opinion. But uh, this stuff that's behind the scenes that goes on, which uh, made it very, very difficult. And it, was, it wasn't an option. So uh, it will come out in the end. It always does, as we all know, when players talk about moving or coaches talk about moving, it always comes out. So um, am I disappointed with the, them being angry at me? No, because that's human nature. But once they understand and know the truth, then they won't be angry with me at all. Carl, can I ask you, <clears throat> was, there, was there a clause in your contract that, it, that allowed you to, uh, to leave or to, or to be you know, approached by, by other clubs? Well, the, I had a really, really good relationship with Laurie McKinna, and I still do. 
you know, and uh, part of the reason me coming over there, there were certain things that we spoke about at, at length over a course of, you know, not just the one month initially or two weeks before I signed, but over the, the 10 months I was there and we, and we have a very good relationship. And um, there, was an, there was an agreement with me and Laurie. Uh, he didn't stand in my way. He was a man of his word, which he always is. Uh, and that's why I'm here today. So um, I don't think it's, it's right for me to talk about contractual situations and things like that. And, and I know people do, but it's got nothing to do with anyone else other than the person, the player, the coach and the club. I think when that gets aired in, in public, I think that's very, very unprofessional. So that won't, will never be done by me. Um, but what I will say, there was an agreement with me and Laurie, and he kept to his word, uh, and the decision was made. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you another couple of difficult questions, then I promise you we will move on <laughs> to, okay. to talk okay. about the Wanderers. Um, I, I assume you, <laughs> you knew this was sort of coming. Um, another Twitter question from Tom Simons fan. I mean, to be honest, I didn't have to prepare questions today. I mean, all no. the fans have just asked them for me. Um, the, the players that you've signed for the Wanderers, or, or at least some of them of late, Bernie Abini in particular, uh, but also James Troisi, to an extent, I guess, Ziggy Gordon, this is a question that quite a few fans have asked. Uh, Tom Simon's fan, why does he target contracted players at other clubs? Which it's, it's, uh, it made me smile. I'm actually not on social media and I'm not on social media for a reason because if I see someone probably, in the street, probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> if, if I see someone in the street and he wants, and that person, whether yeah. male or female, wants to ask me a question, I'll, I'll spend my time with him and I'll talk to him. But when random questions get thrown at you who you don't know and don't understand the situation, I think you actually get yourself into more strife than it's worth. So that question, someone threw that one at me the other day. What, what I'll say with players is I agreed to sign two, two players. Uh, they agreed to come to the football club. It was all done. Uh, and at the last minute, they changed their mind. Uh, and they've signed for other A-League teams. All right? But you don't know about that. People don't know about that because... People don't need to know about that. That's not people's business. That's my business. It's the player's business. I could quite easily just name that player, name that club, and then put a target on their back about, oh, they gave me my word because the way I work is your word is good enough in football. You know, we talk about contractual agreements, but if I say something to you and I give you my word on it and I go back on it, that, that doesn't suit, suit me in football. That doesn't work because if I'm going to lie to you once, I'll lie to you a hundred times. It's not the way relationships work. So there was two, three, two definite circumstances where um, they changed their mind at the last minute, and that was their right. Uh, but you don't know about the players I was very close to signing and I haven't signed. What you do know is the players I did sign, they're all in different circumstances. You know, we dealt with a situation here with, with one player that has left the club. I've said to all players at all times, if you don't want to be at this football club, just let us know and we'll come to an agreement because coaching's hard enough as it is. Football's hard enough as it is, or life in general at the moment with the COVID stuff is hard enough as it is. And you want players that want to want to be here, want to enjoy training, want to be enjoy being part of something that you're building. Um, th those situations with those players were that the, there were situations with their own clubs. You know, we ne we never spoke to a player that we weren't made aware of that was available on the market. Once they're on the market, as I've said with the two players that were very close to signing but didn't, and have signed for other teams. We have conversations, uh, and that's then it's down to your your man management skills, your 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 methodologies, ideas about how you're going to try and build the club, and it's down to the player to make the decision. But you know, people want to focus on the ones I have signed. Well, I tell you what, it would be a great story if I told you the ones that were close to signing and didn't sign. But there's no point airing that in the dirty laundry in public because all that does is cause more drama and drama, and that's what some people want. I don't. I'm a pretty 
uh, low-key person. So I'll leave it with that one, even though do, it's another do, story I've seen. Do you find it funny, like uh, being here in Australia after working abroad and seeing how bad, uh, how can I say, without having a transfer system, how difficult it actually does make for clubs and coaches and for the players? Yes, I do. I think it's phenomenal that there isn't a transfer system because the game is about players. I've said this from the moment I walked here into Australia. I think whenever there's key decisions to be made in football, in this sport, uh, you've got people and with backgrounds and years and years of experience in the sport that know the way the game works, know what is needed, know what is not needed, how to build things, how to structure things how to be part of something that is, is for the benefit of the youth, younger players because they've been younger players. So you have to get advice off people who've been in that game for a long time. The best analogy I use all the time is if I was a doctor and they asked me to uh, do surgery, I would not have a clue about how to do it because that is not my expertise or speciality. If you ask me to set up a team and, and develop players, I can do that. So that's why I'm a firm believer of football people need to make football decisions for the best reason. Or footballers, young footballers, not us. We've been there, done it, but we know what works and doesn't and how to progress players. So, yes, it does need to be a transfer system because, and it was the same in Major League Soccer. I was there for 10 years. There was, you weren't able to um, trade for a player or speak to a player unless both clubs agreed. Suddenly a transfer system with a monetary side come in. They started it. You know, the monopoly money they talk, talk about. They, if I wanted to speak to Toronto, I could speak to Toronto and offer X amount of money. So the player doesn't need to cancel his contract. He can come across to, to my team. I give them X amount of money to allow them to build. So the money stays within the league. The money stays within the clubs. Obviously, it's easy for players to move because modern day football tells you that players do move. Players become unhappy, whether it's a managerial change, whether it's not in the team, whether it's just a change of philosophy. You, players need to move. There's no point players not playing for six months, seeing out their contracts, not playing, because it benefits no one and it affects the national team. Well, I think we're probably going to get a transfer market uh, in Australia sooner rather than later, which, which uh, hopefully will, will change that situation. Um, let's sort of move on a little bit, if we can, Carl, and, and look ahead to the new season. But th there's one more question on the Jets, which I'm sure you knew was coming as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bori. Um, and this comes from uh, somebody called Run Their Memes. Are you mentally preparing yourself for the metric ton of Alan snakes? I'm, I'm pretty sure you know what Alan snakes are. They're the, the little uh, sort of sweet snakes that you, you chew. Right. But people throw them here. That is going to be launched your way by Jet supporters on the 5th of January. That's, that's going to be a bit interesting, isn't it? That, that first home game for for the Jets and your first away game with the Wanderers and it just happens to be in Newcastle. I'm sure you've been in this situation before. Well, I've played for many teams, as you mentioned in the, uh, at the start of the programme. So, yeah, I've played for both Sheffield teams, obviously. So, people tend to not like you. What, what I'll say with that, and I'll say it with a smile on my face, is every person's entitled to their opinion. And when you have your opinion, that's fine. When I actually, when it does come out, when, when the truth does come out and the explanation, the real reason comes out, I'm sure the people who want to throw those things on the field because that's in their nature at the moment will be stepping on that field and picking them up and walking back off and apologizing. So I, I just smile at it. I say, you know what, I can't control that. Control the controllables. But know why you're doing it. Understand why you're doing it. And have got to know the ins and outs. And if you don't know the ins and outs, 
I don't want to hear because it's it's just your opinion, which you're entitled to, but it's way off the mark. Okay. Yeah, I can't. Carl, so, sorry, Simon, just to, uh, I guess, echo all those kind of things. Spider and myself, mate, we know exactly what you're talking about um, because we've been in the industry for a, for a long, long time and player movement and coach movement. But it happens whether players are, are in or out of contract. That is the nature of the, uh, of the business. Um, at times, uh, it is frustrating, but I guess they're the, the questions from the fans who don't know that, that yeah. detail. So some of the things you're coming out with, music to our ears, but obviously also not news. Well, what, what I'd say with that, Maury, is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need to try and justify myself what, yeah. why the decision was made. And I know that probably Jets fans think that's unfair. Uh, that will come out because it's clear the situation that's going on at the moment um, has a big part to play with it. And I, I ask them just to keep an open mind and a broad mind. The reason why I don't try and justify it, because I don't need to. And me trying to do that, um, just paints a picture of me looking after myself. And this is not about me. This is about Australian football. This is about A-League clubs. This is about players playing for these teams. So that's the reason why I don't do it. The easy thing uh, and the most selfish thing I could do is try and give you a breakdown of exactly why and then people will understand. But that's not what... There's no need for you to do that. The people who... The, are show, the show's not long enough for that. <laughs> <laughs> the people who know me, know, you know, who are close to me, understand the situation, as you said. And, you know, it, it, eventually it'll come out and... You know, it'll be down for them people. And there'll be st still be some that don't like me. And that's okay as well. That's normal. That's life as, as we speak about. But yeah, keep an open mind. Okay, let's, let's move away fr from the Newcastle Jets situation, Carl, um, and focus on the Wanderers, which is uh, your new job. Um, they've underachieved Western Sydney for, for quite a few years now. You've, I know you've only been there a couple of months, but... Have you sort of put your finger on the pulse as to what the missing link might be? And are you confident that you can fix it? You've not had too long before the season's about to start. No, it was, I think I've only been here eight weeks, which is not ideal. Um, but it's a situation where you are and a decision was made. What I say with, when I went, to, again, you asked me all these questions about Newcastle. I'll start with, when I come into Newcastle, they had Ernie Merrick as coach, who they just let go. And Ernie, I don't know Ernie, um, but I've got a lot of respect for Ernie dealing with that situation. He was in the grand final 18 months earlier. He, he's won the A-League. It's not for me to talk about what he didn't do, because I don't know. Because I don't know him as a person. By all accounts, he's a very, very good person, but also a really good coach. Sometimes change is good. Sometimes change happens. But I went into the team when they were bottom of the table. All right, and suddenly, 10 games later, we're pushing for the playoffs. So I've come into this situation. I don't know the previous two managers, and I don't need to. What I need to do is keep an open mind and decide for myself what I see. Yes, you get the information of, of, of people that you know and what they tell you about players, but someone can tell you that he's not a very good player. You go in, and in the first three weeks in training, he's absolutely outstanding. So you've got to be open-minded with all these situations. And I've done that. I watched every game they played last year. That took me a little bit of time and that was hard um, to give me an idea of what I thought about them. And I've got eight weeks of working with them. And now I've got a clear picture of what I want, what I expect. There's certain non-negotiables and fundamentals in my teams that I need and I want. If you want to be part of it, fine. If you don't, that's okay as well. That's a decision that I can make for you uh, because there is minimum requirements because it's not been good enough. We haven't been good enough. We probably uh, not exceeded expectations over the last three years um, since Tony Popovich left. You know, he let, he done a great job while he was here and then left. 
And I'm sure he got the criticism he, when he left as well. Like I get him from Newcastle and that's part and parcel of it. Um, but I've got some real work to do here. And it's a challenge that I wanted to take on. It's a challenge that I look forward to. It's a fantastic football club. It's fantastic people. You know, I'm, I'm a big people person. And as soon as I met John and, and Paul, uh, the chairman, I was sold because their vision suited what I wanted. And it's easy to say that because managers come in and say they're going to play this beautiful style of football and or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the way they saw the game, the, what they wanted with their academy, they got some wonderful talent here, wonderful young players, uh, fitted what I wanted to. And my previous job prior to Newcastle was a five-year project in Vancouver. So my background suggests I can stay at a club a long time and build things. So it was just the perfect fit. But there is a lot of work to do. Um, you've you've lost. Uh, we, we talked about some of the players that you brought in, Carl. But uh, you, you've lost your senior goalkeeper, Daniel Lopar, pretty late on in the piece. Um, are you looking to sign another goalkeeper, or, or are you happy with the ones that you have? Yeah, it's in football. Sometimes things don't go your way, as we, we just spoke about there for twenty minutes. And you know, you either deal with it, or, or you complain about it, and you moan, or you sulk, or you look to blame someone. You know, I, I don't know the situation of Daniel, the goalkeeper, before I come in. There was stuff that the club were dealing with with Daniel. And I respected that from the club side and I respected it from Daniel's side. And now a decision's been made that he moves on. Uh, he, he wants to go back home, I believe. So, you know, I, I, I can either deal with it or I can feel upset and sorry for myself. I haven't got number one goalkeeper. I've signed a young keeper in Daniel Margush, who I think has got huge potential. We all know the circumstances of the A-League at the moment in the current financial situation that a lot of young players are going to get chances to play. Well, even if it wasn't in that financial state, they would have got young, they would have got opportunities to play with me because I'm a firm believer of young talent. You know, I don't buy into this and I haven't bought into since I come over 10 months ago that it's the international coaches that don't play um, young Australian players. I think there's a background of showing that young Australian players haven't been given a chance by any coach, not just foreign coaches. I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, a coach is a coach, whether he's from Australia, Wales, or Timbuktu. Yeah, a coach is a coach. So uh, I've got firm belief in Daniel. I think he's very, very talented. What he hasn't got, um, and the guys will tell you, is that he hasn't got the experience of playing season in, season out. But you only get that if a manager believes in you and gives you a chance, and you perform at those levels, and you get your chance. That's the way number two keepers become a number one goalkeeper if it, is if a coach believes in them. I've got firm belief in him. Am I looking for another goalkeeper? Yes. Will it be a, a number one or a number two? Well, I'll, I'll get the best keeper that I can possibly in that market. But if I, Daniel's my number one and I get a young number two, I'm okay with that as well. Have you, have you felt the size of the club since you've been there, Carl? Like, can you actually see that it's a huge club? That We know that it's underachieved since Popper left uh, and what, what Popper did and Tatsumas... Uh, at the beginning was enormous and then they had the little bit of misdemeanors in between but can you feel the size of it yeah you can yeah you can sometimes clubs lose the, their way a little bit which which happens in football all over the world you know that and um, players come and go coaches come and go and I think that's what's happened after the success that, that Popper had had he built something it was fantastic the fans were you know in the thousands here the Asian Champions League success as well and it put them on the map um, suddenly they've just lost their way a little bit and they just want to get back to that because the passion's here. That's certainly, there's really good people. The infrastructure's here. Foundations are here. Now it's just about trying to mar it all up again. And 
create a pathway for our young talented academy players to be filtered into our first team because I gave them a plan here. I said in three years, you know, I always work off a one, three and five year plan. In three years, there's no reason why the nucleus of this team cannot have more homegrown players in, uh, which obviously if you're going to go to a transfer market as well, helps in the transfer market and a salary cap league where five, six, seven-year-old players are homegrown, then that certainly helps the budget as well because we are in a, a budget business. We know that it is... Uh, with the current climate, very difficult for teams in general all over the world. So we have to be aware of that. But my job is to develop players. My job is to coach players individually, collectively, and try and get success on the field. And, and that's why I've been brought in. Carl, are you, are you looking forward to the derbies? I mean, you start off with one against uh, MacArthur, uh, and then, of course, you, you'll have the big ones against Sydney FC. Uh, as a player, I know you, you played in Wolves, West Brom derbies, and Norwich, Ipswich, probably one or two more besides. Three or four more besides, yeah, no, it's, they're, they're amazing. Listen, that's why players play the game. That's why managers and coaches want to go into it as well. The derby is all about the fans. We know that. It's a real special game. And people say, well, you shouldn't try the old adage of you should try hard in every game and you shouldn't try harder in derby games. And that's fine. It, it seems that's normal when you actually say it. But when you're in it as a player... As a, as a coach, it's like there's a, there's a special feeling. The era around the place is a little bit different and things like that. So uh, the good teams are able to deal with every game as if it's a derby, but there is a special feeling with that. But there'll be a little bit of rivalry in most of the games we play because of you know how, how this has panned out as well. But we're looking forward to every game. We know it's going to be a big season for every team in the A-League. And it's, about, it's not just about surviving. It's about playing some good football. I think the last few weeks of the season last year after the COVID break, I think teams really attacked it and went after it, which was really good for, for the viewers as well as the fans. And I think it's important we get off to a good start in, in the A-League in general, not just my team, because we're all doing the same, we're all trying to win games of football. That sort of leads us into our question of the week. Uh, congratulations this week to McCraig, who wins a $100 voucher for the Outback Steakhouse. Uh, his question is, uh, what does Carl think of the standard of the A-League in, in comparison to other leagues and whether he favours that proposed shift in the calendar, which uh, is going to see the majority of the games played in the cooler months? I think it helps players. I think the, sometimes in hotter months, the, the speed of the game slows down and it becomes a little bit pedestrian. I think you saw that after the last few months. It was, it was good. It was front foot football. You're able to press. You know, I like my teams to press a lot. And if it's 40, 50 degrees, 40, 30, 40 degrees heat, and uh, it makes it very difficult, you know, not just for the forward players because we defend from the front, but we attack from the back as well. And, and the guys will tell you it's... There's, everyone has to do it. You can't have eight players pressing and two players not pressing because the, the better teams will be able to pick you off. So I think the shift to the cooler months is, is better. The standard of league, I think I was pleasantly surprised when I come. I, I'd spoke to one or two teams the year earlier when I took a year out of football uh, to have a look at the standard and for six months. And I, Muzzy was over here at the time at Melbourne and, and Bimby was at Sydney. And I spoke to those guys and they were very complimentary of it. But when you're in it, sometimes you don't realise how good it is. Right? And everyone's got this dream about going to Europe and things like that. When I actually done my research on it and watched games, you know, I was pleasantly surprised how tactically smart they were. You know, the one thing I'll say, and I've said this from day one, is the young players want to be coached. They really do. They're, they're like sponges. They, they want to learn. They want to get better. They're willing to learn. Uh, and that's what's been the, been the refreshing thing for me at both of the clubs I've been at is 
if you spend time and you commit to it to try and make them better players, they will become better players because I've seen that in my short time. What you have to do as a coach is fully commit to it. You know, this isn't about me. This is about my job. And my job is to make these players better on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis. Because if I do that and the team's successful, which is what keeps me in the job, I make the, the national team better, you know, and it allows Graham Arnold to pick from a, a bigger pool of players because my players are performing at the highest level. So I'm just one part of the jigsaw here in, in Australia that needs to actually do his job. And you are paid to do your job. So whatever your job is, do your job is, is my mentality. You mentioned there, um, Carl, briefly, Kevin Muscat and Steve Corriker. Obviously, you've, you've known and played with a fair few Aussies. Uh, Hayden Fox, I think, at Portsmouth. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Slater at Wolves, yeah. briefly as well. Uh, I just want, to, just want to finish off talking about uh, your, your playing career which obviously was a few years ago now, but um, that, that's, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to sound disrespectful okay. there. Um, you you pl actually played in the semi-final, an FA Cup semi-final with Robbie Slater. I think yeah. he replaced you off the bench with 20 minutes to go against Arsenal in 1998. Was that, was that one of the biggest disappointments of, of your playing career, not to be able to get to a cup final? Because you were pretty close, obviously. Well, they, I thought you were going to say, was it one of the biggest disappointments? Losing to Arsenal, getting to the semi, or being replaced by Robbie? <laughs> Probably the latter. <laughs> um, now, the, the, the one thing about the Aussie boys, and I say this, the, the, I'm from Wales. I'm very fortunate to be brought up from Wales. And you have to earn, what, you earn everything you have. Nothing's given to you in life. And I've earned my way. And I was told I wasn't good enough. And I showed that you can do it with, with that mentality and the belief. The Aussie guys are the same. They really are. They, they've got this mentality of, and that's why I think a lot of Australians want to go to Europe because they want to sample that. They believe that the ones that are successful and more will tell you, the guys that have been over there for years and years that were able to carve out careers were, were, were able to deal with the mental side of football because it's not easy because you sit in a changing room with 25 players and everyone, they only care about themselves, those players. So you have to deal with it. You're on your own. It's like being on an island. There's no help sometimes. So while, my, while I'm here, my job will be to best prepare these players because, you know, I'm under no illusions as well that if you've got a really, really talented player here in Australia, the likelihood is he's going to go to Europe. And I think that they should based upon the development of their career. And when they do, not let them go for six months and a year later they come back because that doesn't do them any good because then they get back into their comfortable ways is go and spend the career, your career over there, whether it's eight or ten years. And that's a sign of a really, really good player. Um, so going back to Muzzy, Muzzy, obviously I know Muzzy's just gone over to Europe and, and challenged himself over there in Belgium and, and obviously left. You know, there's, there's a, a preconceived uh, conception about coaches. And I say this, whether you're Australian or, or Welsh or whatever, coach is a coach. It doesn't matter where you're from, what nationality you are, your job is to coach. Um, and you have to get away from this stigma of, and I had it in America, in North America, of oh, it's a North American coach, so he should know it better because there was some really talented coaches that come over to North America that weren't able to deal with Major League Soccer rules and travel and things like that. So that's why I'm fully committal wherever I go, whatever job I do, to fully immerse myself in, in the travel, in the situation, in the culture, in the environment with that country. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you can end up... Lose it, losing your mind based upon not dealing with the rules and situation or salary caps. So it's, uh, you have to commit to it and buy into it and then do your job, which you're paid to do. You said that you, had, you fully immerse yourself uh, in the culture of the country that you're in. 
Um, you went to play in North America at the age of 31 in 2007, signed for Toronto FC, their first MLS season. You played under uh, Mo Johnston, I'm sure Craig Moore will uh, remember. And then a couple of years with the New York Red Bulls under Hans Backer, who was Sven-Joran Eriksson's former assistant. Uh, I, I think the second season there, you played with Thierry Henry as well as, as a teammate. So uh, that must have been a terrific experience. What, what sort of tempted you in the first place to to head over to, to North America? Because as I say, you, you were only 31. You probably could have continued quite easily as a player uh, in the UK for another few years. But you made that big decision. Were you already thinking about coaching or was it literally just a, no, 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 I want to go and play over there? I started thinking about coaching when I was 24, when I signed for Portsmouth uh, with Harry Redknapp because he was the, the master of man management. And when I was playing in the team, he made players want to play for him. And when I wasn't in the team... I went to speak to Harry and, and the story I tell is Harry managed to convince me that I was such a good person, good player. And I didn't actually get the reason of why I wasn't playing. I built myself up to find out why I wasn't going to play because he'd signed Tim Sherwood and wanted to know why. And he went in there and he talked to me on, on an emotional level, on a personal level, but he told me no answer. And I walked out the room thinking, oh yeah, no, I'm in a better mood now. And I, I like Harry, but he, thought, he didn't tell me why I wasn't playing. I thought, really, really, really clever and very smart. From that day onwards, I thought, right, now I'm going to start taking notes. And I've got hundreds of black books at home with notes of manager meetings, manager decision, manager sessions, good, bad, indifferent, how I played, what meetings I had with, with managers, what meetings I had with players to become a better teammate, to become a better person. And I got to 31 and I was playing at Norwich and I, w I was sitting in the locker room. I remember after one training session, I went in and there were, there were three or four experienced players at Norwich. Uh, Craig Fleming was one, Darren Huckabee was another. And I sat there and just listened and all they did was complain about how unhappy they were. And uh, Nigel Worthington was a manager with Dougie Livermore, um, two really experienced people. And they're great lads, great people. Uh, good coaches and wanted to do the best for them, but best for the team and the players were moaning. And I just thought, I, I don't want to get into that mode of starting to moan about uh, something that I love doing, enjoy doing, because there's millions of people want to do what I was doing. And I thought, nah, not for me. I want something different. I want to change. I don't want to be dragged down because that's what happens sometimes when you're not playing, you don't play for a month, a month becomes three months, three months becomes a year before you know it, you're trying to get a move and you've not played for a year. And it's the same with unhappy in a changing room. One person's unhappy, which is why my motto with every player is, if you don't want to be here, that's fine. I respect that. You make the individual decision. Come and see me. Let's be adults. Let's sort it out. Because I went through that myself. And that's, that's, that's the way I work. So I moved to Toronto because I wanted to enjoy my football. And I knew my career was coming to an end, whether it would be three, four or five years. And I wanted to see it out. I've worked so hard. You can spend 10 years getting a career. You, 10, 12 years when you're young and you're 8, 10 years of age, it can, you can spend 10 minutes getting out of the game. Mm. You literally can. So if you don't enjoy your work and have a passion for what you do, you're in the wrong job because there's millions of kids, boys or girls, that want to actually do what you're doing. And you get paid for it as well. So never, never take for granted what you do. Um, Carl, another question from uh, JB. What league is the ultimate for you to manage in one day? Do you have a, an ambition to go back, say, to the Premier League and be a head coach there, or is it not that specific? It's, I do want to go back to the Premier League one day. 
you know, but I'm sure every young coach wants to go back to the Premier League one day. You know, I think they'd be naive if they didn't say they were. It's the same with managing my country. I want to manage my country at international level. Very proud to be Welsh. Uh, every time the Welsh job comes available, whether it was after, you know, Chris Coleman or before Ryan Giggs, you know, managers, Welsh managers that are in the mix always get, get, get a mention. I made no secret of it. I will manage my country. I would like to manage my country one day. No different to anyone else. The, when I go back to England, and I've said this to my wife and my family, we, we will go back. It won't be a case of go back to the UK and then six months later go back to America, which is why I've spent so long away. Having this route down to Australia might actually make me go a different route back to the English Premier League. I might go the Asian route. I'm quite open to learning. I want to learn. I want to learn. When you're in Major League Soccer for seven years, eight years, you play against the same managers week in, week out. You know the trends. You know how they play. You know what they're going to do. Me coming to Australia, I didn't know what the guys were going to do. And there's been more changes this year as well. I don't know what the, the new coaches are going to do, and that's good. You know, if you go Japan, you go Korea, you go China, that route. Oh, there's some fantastic coaches there tactically. The, the players over there are a different level tactically as well. You know, they're well drilled. They understand the game. You see that when, when our guy, uh, the Australian teams went to play in the Champions League. You have to be on top of your game. So that's something that interests me as well. Um, but it all depends on how good I am. Because if, I don't, if I'm not successful here, that's not going to happen. If I am successful here, it opens a few more doors for me. But my eventual goal would be to go back to the UK. But... Who knows when that will be? You know, I'm still young. I'm still 44. Yes, I've managed 230, 40-odd games, which is great. You know, if I can get four or 500 games under my belt before I go back, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a novice manager. I'm not a manager you're taking a risk on. I've, I manage in different three, two or three different continents and three, two or three different countries. Uh, but you've got to be successful because otherwise no one gives you a chance unless you know someone who is looking for a manager. Um, but that's very few and far between as well. Carl, we're aware that we've kept you uh, over half an hour. To, we're going to let you go in a moment. Um, just, w just one more question, uh, which is a sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek one from Lee Brock, some fiction. How do you rate Jose Mourinho's mind games in the media? <laughs> you know, I, I actually re I really I think he's brilliant. I, I'm, a, I'm a Manchester United fan. I thought when he was at what? Manchester United... What? You didn't tell me that. <laughs> no. When, when he was at Man United, I thought everyone probably talked about the way he set his teams up and the way he played was not Manchester United-esque, um, even though he finished second and he got to, he won the Europa League, which was a success. They got rid of him. Ole Gunnar's come in, who's the fan's favourite. And this is football for you, okay? He's a fan's favourite. They all like him because the narrative on him is really nice because he was an ex-player. But it's Manchester United. You've got to dominate the ball. You know, even today, they, they beat Leeds 6-2, I think. They had 40% possession. That's not a Man United team. A Man United team dominates the ball. They're not a counter-attacking team. Jose going to Tottenham now, I think he's put them back on the map. It's a different type of football to what Pochettino plays. Uh, I like Maurizio. I thought he was a fantastic person, first and foremost. Um, the way he dealt with the media. You knew the end was coming. You could see it. Um, but he finished second and he didn't win. So you criticise someone who you like for finishing second because he's a nice person. Mourinho goes in there, who's a perennial winner. Won at every team he's been at. How he sets his team up is his decision. And you criticize, people criticize him for going in. I think the documentary painted him in a different light. But I knew that's what he was like. The difference at Tottenham and Man United is he's deal, he had to deal with Paul Pogba, who I think had a massive influence over players in that locker room. And it's showing now. Paul Pogba yeah. either has to play in your team or Paul Pogba needs to be moved. 
because he's got such an influence because he's such a high profile player, which again, circling back fits into my uh, mindset of if you're an unhappy player and you don't want to be at the football club and you're not going to play him and he's your best player or he's one of your best, you have to move him because it can be um, a bigger headache than what it needs to be. So yes, I love Josie. I think he's a terrific person. Uh, he does play his mind games, whether it's right or wrong, but he's interested in listening to him um, because it, there, there's always a reason why he does it. And that's what I tend to look at and listen to when I, when I listen to managers' interviews. I said, what's his objective? Which goes into my black book because I knew what Harry Redknapp's <laughs> objective was to me 20 years ago. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to Spider's question yeah. in just one second, Spider. But before that, I just want to ask. So you said you were a Man United fan, Carl, when you were a young kid in short pants in Landrin Dodwells, and yeah. you're running around in the school ground with your Man United top on. Who, who did you pretend to be? Do you know what? I pretended to be Norman Whiteside. Yes. Is that right? That's, that's yeah, yeah, I did. I remember yeah. the FA Cup final goal where he scored where they were down to ten men. I think Kevin Moran was sent off and he bent it inside. And people talk about memories uh, my passion is football and i remember things like that you know how how i can remember that i don't know i was nine ten years of age but you do because you love the game you you sleep you eat you you know the game that's what that's what you're about that's why i say to you over here and i say and i'm a big advocate of it and i'll say it i'm welsh so people don't need to listen to me but the people who've got a background in football and a knowledge in football especially in australian football need to be part of decisions because they know they understand and they've got the background to back it up with with decisions. So uh, it's really important you listen to these people. Spider, right. it's brilliant, mate. Can I tell you, you've just shattered Simon. By the way, <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen him so deflated. <laughs> mate, if he knew you were Man United, he wouldn't have invited you on. <laughs> mate, just I, I've got to ask you my questions because you've played at some great stadiums, you've coached at some great stadiums. So the people out there always love the best stadium that you've coached or played at and the best, the biggest and all dungeons of dungeons that you've been to? So the best stadium, I'm going to be a little bit biased. I'm going to say the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, playing yeah. in front of 74 or 75,000 people against England. We lost 2-0 in that game. Uh, England played this off the park. David Beckham put on a, a masterful passing display. It was one of the only games that I could actually openly be honest with you and say, after 58 minutes when I was substituted, I was absolutely delighted because I could <laughs> not get near him at all. And that's, that's part of being humble, admitting yes. when you're not good enough or you weren't at the level. And, and I, I was quite happy to be taken off in an international game. Not sulking. You see some players get sulking when they're taken off. You know, I was happy as a player. That's accountability for yourself. So that's the best stadium. One of the most enjoyable we played at we played a Champions League semi-final for Vancouver at Tigres down in Mexico. And Chica Ferretti was the manager there who his daughter was doing her college degree in Vancouver. And we played in front of 24,000. Oh, it was tough. It was, the environment was amazing. The Mexican people love their football, as we know. It's their main sport. So going down there was one that made my hairs on my back and my neck stand up. I was like, oh. This is, this is real. Uh, one of the probably hardest places that we went to, we went to Matagua in Honduras. Uh, and that was pretty, I say rough, I don't like using that word, but intimidating to say the least, the Honduran fans on top of you. And when you play at international level, and, and you guys know this, it's, 
you go to the Moldovas, the Belaruses, you know, teams like that. It's uncomfortable. You know, you go down to Uruguay, it's very uncomfortable. They try and make it really hostile for you. So there's a lot of um, hostile environments. Um, but there's also, they do it for reasons. That's why I say to you, when, when you have a home ground, you want to make it intimidating. So you're talking about their fans making it intimidating for me when I go back up the road. Yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've been in different positions where I've been able to deal with stuff before. England and Wales ate each other, so it's part and parcel. <laughs> <laughs> Having lived in Wales for the first two years of my journalistic career, I can, uh, I can vouch for that. Um, Carl, we could probably, again, talk for about another four hours, but uh, unfortunately, we've, we've been going for about 40 minutes. I'm aware you've got a coach today, your, your players, so... Uh, all we can say is thank you so much for being so honest and for being so generous with your time. Um, we wish you all the very best for this coming season, starting, of course, on the 27th uh, against MacArthur FC. And, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Carl. Mate, top stuff. All right, thanks. Cheers, Carl. And that is all we have time for this week. All that remains for us is to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Stay safe in these uncertain times. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for our final show of 2020. Until then, bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.